The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. my friends and welcome to this another episode of the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris and joined as always on this game guy game preview show a little bit earlier in the week this time around it's john daigle patrick darty and hayden winks gentlemen i'm so glad we had about our five to seven minute discussion before i hit the record button so i could actually learn who's playing quarterback for every single team on the sunday and monday slate welcome back in our lives ray allen and mike glennon pat Aren't you thrilled? Prep for this pod, I had up the Wikipedia list of current NFL teams. So I'm feeling pretty good about my week 12 knowledge. Um, uh, that's why we have to rely on like the young guy, Hayden Winks, who's also on the West Coast, who can you know, stay up till 3 a.m. And it's no big deal for him. And just like pass the baton over to Daigle, who takes over the morning shift right after him. That's how this operation works. Yeah, right, guys? You, you know what actually happens too, Josh, is when I feel like I'm not prepared – and every game, there's just like five things that I have to get in and say regardless. And it turns out I have like way too much to say. So uh, I'm gonna, what I'm trying to say is never. every time you are talking, I'm going to interrupt you. You never. <laughs> you never. Daigle, I kn- have you had like a moment, a morsel to go outside in Texas? Yeah, I know you went to the driving range. Is that yeah. it so far? The place I moved to after Silva's was, is, I should say, directly across the street from a driving range that a professional golfer owns. There's like bridge water bunkers over there to practice. I am still absolutely awful, but nonetheless, that's what we were doing now instead of taking naps, a a bit of a new energy now to close the year. Good. Denny has since confirmed since the Thanksgiving preview show that he did shoot under 70 one time as well. So he is good. Wow. Used to be good at least. Well, I mean, Dago, if you said that about me, I wouldn't deny that either. Like he can't prove That's true. that. That's true. You guys want to hear a Roto World golf fact? Even yes. if you, none of you have ever played golf before, you will be better at golf than me. Horrifically bad at golf. I thought this might be like a back nine story with Evan Silva and Adam Levitan with a cooler beer and, you know, just, just some fables that might've been told them, but maybe that's, there's no for another time. Plays golf. <laughs> I would, I would, I would so pay. Look, we now have, you know, like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and pay-per-view golf matches. I think the fantasy football community should get together and round up some money for a Adam Levitan, Evan Silva, round at a public course i think we should they, they stream tennis and basketball i mean they can stream a round of golf right 
I like how you went to another company, not our company, where well, we have people who like to play golf as well. Yeah, we're active. Then <laughs> he shot under a 70, and you're going to leave him out of this? I mean, this is this just is ridiculous. Um, well, look, just in fairness, we try to level the playing field here. We, we grade in a curve. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Again, if you missed it, we had our Thursday Thanksgiving Day games, which we thought was a three-game slate, is now a two-game slate. But here we are. Now we thought it was 13 games. Hayden Winks, it's 14 games. And let's start off with the Las Vegas Raiders going to the Atlanta Falcons. A big boy total. A 55 and a half in this game. The Raiders are three-point favorites on the road, six and four on the season. The Raiders have made the playoffs just once since losing the Super Bowl in the 2002 season, and they are the seventh seed right now, Hayden Winks. We saw Derek Carr and this offense really go drive for drive with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs last week. Does that give us more incentive, more motivation, more of a, a positive feel in connection to the Derek Carr-led offense here against this Falcons defense. This offense has been like a top five per play offense, like for basically the entire year. Derek Carr is playing way better than he ever has. He's throwing the ball downfield more. He has a little bit more uh, options underneath and downfield as well. Like a total nerd, I went back yesterday and watched all 22 for the last three Raiders games, trying to figure out what the heck is going on with Henry Ruggs. And what you see is a lot of two tight end sets, but Darren Waller is so active still. Henry Ruggs is kind of taking all these clear out routes and is leaving a lot of things underneath for like all these ancillary pieces. There's not like a total like smash spot for fantasy, but I mean, they're projected for 29 and a half points this week. That's the second most on the Sunday slate. And the Raiders offense is legit. Like I don't think that they're like the most explosive unit in, in the league, but like play in play out. They're always just moving the ball forward. My one concern here is that if Julio Jones doesn't play, we could see what happened with the Raiders offense and Derek Carr the past three games before they ran into Patrick Mahomes. Just 24 attempts per game in those three contests. And then, of course, the environment of the Chiefs offense forced Derek Carr to throw over 30 times in this last contest. But the Falcons can't put up a fight. There's no reason to even have Derek Carr drop back and throw the ball at all. It'll be more of a Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker kind of game. An extremely weird Derek Carr fact is that he has been playing very well in real life. Again, like <laughs> yes. like the platonic ideal of like John Gruden efficiency, but he has six touchdowns in two games against the Chiefs and then 13 touchdowns in eight games against everyone else. And maybe a lot of that is because, yeah, they're able to get the running game going so well. They don't need Derek Carr to be super prolific, kind of like a bizarro Ryan Tannehill where he's not like a big play Ryan Tannehill, but 
I mean, the, Fal- the Falcons allow the most quarterback fantasy points. So when we know this is a defense that you like want to start everyone against, you want to stream against, but I couldn't quite get Derek Carr into the QB1 QB1 rankings just because the ceiling just has not been there no matter what the matchup is this year, except the Chiefs. Hayden, I'm so glad that Henry Ruggs is dominating in our points per clear out route run league. <laughs> I was right going to say, you guys had to figure out a way to, you know, actually, here's why Henry Ruggs is the most important player on the Raiders Seriously. this year. MVP, <laughs> give him the award. Uh, hey, look. On, that, on that touchdown, that crossing route, I saw two safeties go with Henry Ruggs leaving Darren Waller wide open. So all you Darren Waller uh, fantasy drafters that were getting him in the sixth round and everyone was calling him a bust, you better thank Henry Ruggs for all that action. <laughs> and realistically, he has more mentions on the show this entire season than fantasy points on the year. So at least he has that going for him. Uh, look, Pat, I think you mentioned this. I mean, Vegas – and you look home and road splits are so different this year, I think in comparison to others, but they're four and one on the road this season. And we expect that to be five and one after this week. Um, but looking at the Falcons team, Doug, you mentioned, we don't know if Julio Jones is going to play. And we have seen Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley, despite being so good in moments this year, completely fall apart. This offense, the wheels fall off when, when Julio Jones isn't in it. And last week we saw, even with both of them playing, Todd Gurley absolutely not hit value because he didn't find the end zone. So I'm not sure how I feel about this Falcons offense, despite I would say this Raiders team, you know, it's not a defense we fear. It's not really one we, we factor in, but Julio's status is absolutely the biggest point that we need to know heading into this game. Weird thing about Julio this year is that like he's had, so he's been questionable, you know, several times. And I think he had one week where it was kind of almost like a decoy. Then he had another week where he was like every snap, you know, monster game. So it's like you can't really know what to expect with him. Like if he's a game time decision, there's not we don't have like clear signals from the past. Like, well, if he plays, that means he's going to be active for like the normal Julio Jones role. It could be like literally anything, and it's a very uh, frustrating situation. And I would stress to remember that Calvin Ridley, 30% target share, 51% of the team's air yards, and the two full games that Julio missed this year, uh, whereas everyone else cratered. Hayden Hurst, a total of nine yards in those games. Zacchaeus had 54 yards, I believe. And Russell Gage was a guy out there getting 44 yards. So no one else was a factor whatsoever. Only Calvin Ridley could sustain in this offense if Julio is out. And look, Titan sucks this year. But Terrible. the Raiders have been great against tight ends, not named Travis Kelsey this season. So uh, you certainly don't have an option that might be better than Hayden Hurst or looks better on paper than Hayden Hurst. But again, if if you really have someone you're considering 50-50, then I would look away from Hurst this week. And I should mention that we're recording this podcast at like 3 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. It probably goes up on Thursday night or Friday morning. So if anything that we say is incorrect, both from a development standpoint and more important than injury and status standpoint, that is probably why we are off. All right, let's move on to the Los Angeles Chargers going to the Buffalo Bills, who are five and a half points favorites at home. The Bills are seven and three. We know the Chargers are the best three and seven team of all time. A total of 53 and a half. Hayden, this Chargers team, explosive. I think that's an easy definition and classification for the offense, yet their three wins this season have come against the Cincinnati Bengals, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the New York Jets. How do you think they're going to fare against the Buffalo Bills? Well, we're kind of playing this game of roulette with Anthony Lynn and the coaching staff. Is Are they going to be a run-first team or a pass-first team? Because when they go to pass-first, their offense is legit. Like The Chargers right now are projected for 24 points. That feels way too low if the Chargers are going to come out and pass the ball a ton. Last week, they actually led – 
the NFL in neutral pass rate and the offense went berserk. And then the second half, they were starting to bring in Kalen Balazs and then the game got close again. So if the Chargers decide to put, uh, just go all in on the passing game. I don't know why you wouldn't. The Buffalo defense has not been good against the run or the pass really this year. I think the Chargers could have a really big upside here like we've seen. It just all depends on the coaching staff and if they're going to run the ball or pass the ball first. Is anyone else shocked how low this over-under it? I mean, low, relatively speaking, it was 53 and a half. I thought we might see like a 56 or a 57 where Hayden said the Bills' defense not playing well. The Chargers you know, made their defense worse at the trade deadline. They're, they've gotten healthier. Joey Bosa's back. But uh, I was surprised with it as well. You know, as Justin Herbert's playing with as well as Josh Allen has played, like in these, you know, these high totaled games, you know, good offensive environments. I was surprised to see uh, only uh, 53 and a half. Well, let, let's possibly theorize that. And I understand that the Bills' total is much larger than the Chargers' one in this game. But there have been points this season where we have seen Brian Dayball attack the weakness of a defense. And I'm not saying the Chargers are good, certifiably good, either against the pass or the run, but they are worse against the run. I mean, I think they're the 27th ranked in terms of defense DVOA there. But I certainly don't think that Brian Dayball is going to move away from the pass in this game at all. I mean, why, why would you when John Brown, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and – they didn't do that against the Seattle Seahawks. They didn't do that against the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe some people believe that, you know, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary might get 12 to 14 carries each, which they have gotten before. But, but Pat, I, I expect, you know, Josh Allen to go out there and just absolutely throw the football all over the, all over the place against this defense. The uh, the 23 team total for the Chargers that opened up initially seemed far too low, especially in a game that projects as the highest total in the week. And we've seen it increase by a point. The Bills team total also increasing by a point. So we should expect fireworks here. Tredavious White has only traveled to the slot on 13 snaps all season long. He's not going to be on Keenan Allen. And on the other side of the ball, we don't know if John Brown's going to play. He's been a DNP for the first two walkthroughs to open the mm. week. But remember, Cole Beasley still... 15th most fantasy points per game among wide receivers and the two contests he started without John Brown. So I think either way, both offenses are getting there in this game, especially if we get Austin Eckler all of a sudden. Yeah. Austin Eckler, I think initially said that he was hoping to return in week 13. So if we get him here a week earlier, that'd be great. I know he's been activated for practice, but again, as we sit here, Midday on Wednesday, we're not exactly sure what his status is heading into this. Well, I mean, if he does play Hayden, we expect almost a full workload for Austin Eckler, right? Because I know Kalen Balash has gotten a lot of volume and he's been solid at it. Some might say tried and true in terms of his production, uh, but he has certainly pushed the likes of Joshua Kelly and, and Troy Main Pope completely to the sideline. At least he did last week. Yeah, I think Kalen Balazs is going to get at least one more start, probably two. I think Austin Eckler is not ready yet. Like They, they mm. activate him, but usually it takes two or three weeks before they're actually seeing live reps. Uh, I'm expecting him to get some limited practices in, and then we'll see him in uh, early-ish December. Um, with Kalen Balazs, expected fantasy points in his three starts, 16.6, 23.9, 26.7. He's not living up to those expectations because he's Kalen Balazs, but when you're the RB2 in fantasy usage, you better put him in your lineup. Uh, there's going to be some scoring opportunities. I, I agree with all you guys. I think the game's going to go over. With the 2020 injured reserve being shorter, you've been pretty sharp, and you've been winning if you've stopped, not started a player his first game off of injured reserve, but stashed him instead. We've seen it with Alan Lazard. We've seen it with Jalen Rager. We've seen it so many different players, and I think that's the case with Austin Eckler. I'd still start him if I'm desperate as a RB2, but I don't expect him to be Eckler again until his second game back. 
Yeah, as I said, Austin Eckler could return this week. Teams have been kind of all over the map with this. Some teams have been activating people and letting them practice for two weeks. Some teams have, like, taken it down to the wire on Saturday then activated a guy. Like, they're trying to, like, conceal their status, basically. So Austin Eckler could go either way. If he plays, I mean, I will honestly put him in the low-end RB2 ranks. I mean, he tweeted ahead of week 10, you know, like, yo, I'm almost ready, y'all. And then he, you know, hasn't played for two weeks, so that was kind of weird. So I, I don't know. Maybe they've just been trying to, like, keep him under wraps or something. Um, but – I would I would play him ahead of Kalen Balaj, rank him ahead of Kalen Balaj too. I know Kalen Balaj comes into a backfield, he takes it over immediately. We've seen it time and again everywhere he goes. Uh, but yeah, I would play Austin Eckler. And I have one spare thought too. If John Brown is out, Gabriel Davis is one of the more intriguing like plug and play reserve wide receivers. Yep. So I don't think John Brown being out would dent the scoring environment for this game. Well, we know the Chargers historically are just so good at handling injuries, so I'm sure they're going to make the the best decision on Austin Eckler no matter what. All right. Let's move on to the New York Giants and the Cincinnati Bengals. A total of 43 in this game. The Giants are six-point favorites on the road. They are a three and seven. Daigle, Cincinnati Bengals. You go from Joe Burrow, who was leading the league in pass attempts per game. This team, I think, was third in plays per game. They did not have a good offensive line. I would even say the play caller was a bit questionable. You know, they had this car that had a great driver, and now it might look like a lemon with Brandon Allen at the helm. And that's just going to have some massive trickle down to the likes of T. Higgins, the likes of Tyler Boyd, the likes of Gio Bernard, right? I don't know why they keep Ryan Finley on the roster, by the way, if they're not even going to start him when their starter goes down. And he's, he's been active as the number two. Either way, we saw Brandon Allen last year. No surprise. You know what you're getting with Brandon Allen. Completed 46% of his passes and three starts with the Broncos last year. Uh, this game is going to be a disaster. This is one of like three games on this slate. You shake your head and be like, yeah, we know what happens here. Like, why are we yeah. playing this game? I, I will say I was asked in the waivers Q&A a lot um, to drop T. Higgins immediately. And I'm saying no because I think he's too talented of a player. But if we see that this situation cannot carry itself over without Joe, Joe Burrow, then yes, you can get away from T. Higgins. I'll hypothesize this though, Pat. Could we see Zach Taylor, as I just mentioned, you know, Burrow – was trying to elevate this offense as much as possible. And he could handle so much disruption that I think a lot of other quarterbacks would crumble under. Um, Could we see Zach Taylor say to himself, okay, let's be more balanced. Let's be more run oriented. And could we see Gio Bernard have, I don't know, 25 touches in this game. I'm not going to say he's going to be successful on them because this offensive line stinks. And if the giants are good anywhere, we know it's with one James Bradbury, but also just the heftiness of their defensive front I just think no matter what, Gio Bernard is going to have an inefficient day if it's with a lot of volume or with its limited volume. Yeah, I mean, we we saw this already happen last year. Where like in the second half of the season, the Bengals just basically adopted the mindset of like, let's just get through the season and get to the offseason. You know, that's clearly going to be like the goal now with Joe Burrow and injured reserve. I, I, I think it does like solidify Giovanni Bernard's floor, which, you know, has been getting lower and lower and lower as he loses touches to Samaj GP Ryan. But Hey, still have a hard time getting him in the top 24 this week just because the touches haven't been there as much. They're not as high quality. I think whereas last year was Joe Mixon all the time, you know, 25, 30 touches. I think they might go more of a committee. Maybe they'll even get Travion. Is Travion Williams still on the roster? Maybe they'll get him involved. Uh, and it's just such a pity because, like, last week, one of my favorite talking points, you know, was T. Higgins pushing for wide receiver one value. Whereas now I think he's clearly behind Tyler Boyd. You can expect the backup quarterback to probably focus on the slot receiver. T. Higgins is like a very uncertain wide receiver three. And I think Tyler Boyd, who had been surpassed by T. Higgins, is now the Bengals fantasy receiver to have. 
Yeah, on the season, Tyler Boyd was the wide receiver 18 in fantasy points per game. T. Higgins was the wide receiver 24, and Gio Bernard was the running back 16. In fact, Gio had negative fantasy points after Joe Burrow left in the third quarter for the rest of the game. That not quite what I want to, you know, trust my week on in week 12. While we're talking about the Bengals, they have so many exciting names that now might not be as exciting. This should be a smash spot, despite the low total for the New York Giants. But I can't really look at their roster and get excited about anyone to play on a weekly basis. I think it's Wayne Gallman if uh, he's going to get the full workload, which I think we can project. I think he's like a low-end RB2, kind of a volume-based guy. And I think Sterling Shepard is the other guy along with Evan Ingram. Um, Darius Slayton's fallen way back. He's only got a 17% target share. He's the boom-bust guy in the offense down the field. Sterling Shepard's more of the intermediate target, so – I think you can put Sterling Shepard in as like a flex guy. I think Evan Ingram is been super inefficient, but he's a like seeing top three, top five fantasy usage uh, at tight end. So I think those are the three guys that you play. Before the bye, Gallman did have 19 touches in the season high, four carries inside the 10-yard line. He's living off of touchdowns now. I believe it's his fifth straight game before the bye with a touchdown. Having said that, just getting the higher rate of backfield touches over. Alfred Morris, again, what are we doing here? And uh, who's the other one? Deion Lewis. I, I think that does make him a play and honestly a better option over Gio Bernard this week because it is a Gallman game script. It's, it's Giesen, folks. It's Gallman season. And uh, I just derailed the podcast. Four verses, someone, yeah. someone put him on Top timeout. Someone put him on timeout. Evan Ingram, and while you guys are all uh, you know having heart attacks and dying, Evan Ingram has 67 targets, which is third amongst tight ends, which is totally insane. I, I got to watch the full spectrum of Josh's camera there where he like squinted thinking, what's Giesen? And then you explained it and he tipped over laughing. Yeah. Look, I'm not that funny, but sometimes I feel like my humor level is at least decent uh, on this podcast. All right. We will move on to the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. A total of 51 and a half in this game. Colts are three and a half point favorites, probably because in week 10, they beat the Titans on the road. In fact, they shut them out in the second half. Daigle, Ryan Tannehill contributed, has contributed at least two touchdowns in nine of 10 games a season. And the only exception was that week 10 performance when he was 15 of 27 for 147 yards and just one score. In fact, because he's in my bus column this week, I had to look this up. 40% of his passing yardage on the day and the lone passing touchdown occurred on the Titans' first drive of that game. So he's basically shut out for the remaining 50 minutes of the mm-hmm. contest. Anyways, what do you think about this Titans offense against this Colts defense that – other than DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard, might lack superstar names other than Julian Blackman, who's playing great as a rookie safety. Yet, as a unit, they're almost top five in every category. Roger Saffel coming back would definitely help against Leonard. Uh, having said that, I still think it's a, not a bad spot for the Titans offense. We talked about last week how the Colts really just hadn't been tested by a strong quarterback yet. And then Aaron Rodgers comes in. Of course, he puts up over 300 yards. has a terrific day against them through the air. And I think this zone defense they continue running is susceptible against the Titans play action passing game. So I don't know if he's a a top-tier quarterback this week, but a low-end QB1, sure. I'm not looking for a streaming option over him because I think Tannehill's a good option. I've still got him. As, I've got him as a mid-range QB2 this week. I don't think yeah. he's going to be held under 150 yards again. Uh, the Titans will be on their number three left tackle, which is not ideal. Ty Sombrello headed to injured reserve, joining Taylor Lewin. 
Uh, we could see Isaiah Wilson maybe make his first left tackle start after a drunk driving and coronavirus marred offseason. So that is definitely a concern. But, like, you know, the Colts looked very human. It was against Aaron Rodgers. Um, but I, I think we it was a short week, you know, a few weeks ago. We probably saw Ryan Tannehill's worst game of the season. He almost always True. has that two-touchdown, 200-yard floor, and that's a mid-range QB, too. Hmm. I think the Colts team is pretty legit. Like, I, I don't think they're going to be competing for a Super Bowl or anything, but they're they're one of the better teams in the league for sure. And they're projected for 27 points. It's the sixth most on the slate. Phillip Rivers, like, this is the offense that was perfectly designed for Phillip Rivers. A limited Phillip Rivers, but he's got uh, emerging wide receiver one. He's got some deep threats on the team. He's got plenty of tight ends. He's got plenty of running backs. The offensive line looks like it's kind of uh, finally living up to expectations in recent weeks. So I think you have a very functional offense. The question is, who is going to be emerging at each one of these positions? Last week, we saw Jonathan Taylor have his best game of the year, his most usage since like week two. Um, is that here to stay? I kind of think it's leaning that direction. You're definitely playing with some fire, though, because I think Naeem Hines is at least going to be uh, available on third down. So I think you're going to see um, JT kind of lead the backfield on early downs, and then Naeem Hines is going to get subbed in on passing downs. I think Naeem Hines is the best running back on this roster, period. I mean, I went back and watched at least the highlights of that week 10 performance. And he was once again, the best back on this team period. And I just don't understand. I mean, I do understand it, right? You, you draft John Lantana in the second round, even Jordan Wilkins has been productive. You know, you, you had this vision of yourself as a power running team that had some explosive plays because of how great the offensive line was. But I still think that this offense is at its best when Naeem Hines is back there because it can be multiple. It can be diverse. And it, it can be explosive. And as much as we love Jonathan Taylor coming into the season, as, as athletic as his profile was, I haven't seen it. I mean, I, I truly haven't seen it in terms of 15-plus, 20-plus yard runs, forcing missed tackles. He kind of looks like not pre-injury Jonathan Stewart, but post-injury Jonathan Stewart already during his rookie season. And, and that's, a, that's a little – I'm not out on Jonathan Taylor. This can all change in year two, but it – you know, I don't even think the most optimistic Wisconsin fan can look at him and say, oh, oh yeah, he's been good this year. It, it is pretty funny, though. We were worried about his hands, and like he has a 96% catch rate, and that's really yeah. all that's going well for him is yeah. his receiving game usage, whereas the rushing has been an issue. Um, having said that, it, the last three games, we've seen it. Jordan Wilkins has led in touches in one game. Naheem Hines has led in touches in one game, and Jonathan Taylor has. I, I, I don't know why we would think – Either of them are here to stay. It comes down to the first three drives. Well, they'll I'll, sort it from there. I will say, like Jonathan Taylor didn't just like lead in in touches yeah. and opportunities here. He like blew everybody out. In the other games, it was like twelve to ten to nine. Like this was like twenty six opportunities to like eleven and four or something like that. So I think yeah. that this was the biggest blowout between the three of them. It was the most touches by far by any Colts running back since Taylor in Week Two. And to me, it felt like a random time to recommit. Well, that's what it did feel like was a recommitment. So yeah, I don't know what to think. Hmm. Also, the identity of these two teams, I think, has always been positive game script, and then you just close out games. But both these teams are coming off, come from behind victories, because the Colts beat the Packers 34-31 to after training, trailing 28-14 to at halftime last week when the Titans overcame that 11-point second-half deficit to beat the Ravens in overtime. So no matter who's leading, might not be leading at the end of this game. It is at least another good game for Michael Pittman, too. No Adoree Jackson, no Jadevian Clowney. Um, we yep. know the Titans are not getting a pass rush whatsoever. So, Pittman, you continue trusting every single week, whereas T.Y. Hilton, he should be on your waiver wires already. 
Okay. Let's now go to the Cleveland Browns and the Jacksonville Jaguars, a total of 49 in this game. The seven and three Browns are six and a half point favorites. I didn't even write out, Hayden, all of the injuries on the Jaguars defense, but I know their best pass rusher, Josh Allen, is out. Their best cornerback, CJ Henderson, is out. Baker Mayfield has barely eclipsed quarterback 12 territory like all season long. If there was ever a planet's aligning moment, for Baker Mayfield to have a top seven, eight quarterback week, it would have to be this matchup, right? Yeah, like the ceiling in theory is there, but I can't rank them like anything higher than like QB 15. Even in like the perfect matchup, Browns are projected for the fourth most points on the week, but we just haven't seen it at all. And they have the uh, their stud guard back, Wyatt Teller, and that just means it's Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb ready to explode again. I think both of them could be top 12 backs this week. Um, the one thing that I was kind of surprised by, I looked back at how Chubb and Kareem Hunt are being utilized together in games together. And uh, first of all, Kareem Hunt's been way better with Nick Chubb. I think that's also because Wyatt Teller's been out during that uh, the time Chubb was out. But Kareem Hunt has like 12 inside the 10 opportunities to Nick Chubb's like six over those five games. I don't know what the heck's going on near the goal line. I don't know if that's fluky or if Kareem Hunt is kind of if he's inside the five-yard line, he's just going to stay in and Nick Chubb's not going to come in. But that's a little bit concerning for Nick Chubb because he's not catching any passes. Now, with, with this game script and the team total and stuff, I'm not worried about Nick Chubb this week. But I thought that was kind of interesting that the goal line opportunities were kind of skewed in Kareem Hunt's favor instead of Nick Chubb's. Mike Glennon has not started a game since 2017. So I think exactly what we know the game script will be. We have four, we have five games now with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb playing together. And Baker Mayfield has attempted 23 passes or fewer and four of those five starts. I don't think they want him to throw. He probably can. He can be Kirk Cousins light and just being efficient against bad defenses. But we know what they want to do. They're going to give Chubb and Hunt 15 plus touches and call the day against Glennon, who's not going to be good. So. Just another shake your head game. Yeah, I mean, I have Baker ranked as a bottom five quarterback. I just don't see any yeah. path whatsoever to upside. I mean, just what is the path to upside? They're just going to run. They're going to have maybe forty rushing attempts. Yeah. yeah, I was very, I was surprised. Six and a half felt light to me yeah. uh, for the spread here. I mean, it's just this is just going to be a joke of a game, and uh, they don't need to pass. They don't want to pass, and they have two running backs, equ- very easily capable of handing fifteen to twenty touches. Well, we saw what Jake. Luton offered and it wasn't much outside of one or two vertical shots in a single game. Uh, Gardner Minshew almost certainly will, will be out this week, even though like there were some murmurs that he could return. So as Daigle mentioned, Mike Glennon is back in our lives, but we mentioned the Jaguars defensive pieces that are out. The Browns have some as well. I mean, Miles Garrett is missing this game once again on the COVID list. Uh, Denzel Ward is out for a few weeks. We know that Olivier Vernon and a few other defensive pieces really rose up and dominated that game last week for the Browns. But James Robinson, you're still starting as a top 10 running back this season. And then DJ Chark, it can be hit or miss in terms of us knowing exactly, Daigle, what we're going to expect week in and week out, because I would say the catch rate might be difficult for him. But the potential is there for him to have a wide receiver two week. I will say Robinson handled 19 of 22 backfield touches last week, but that's only because Divine Azigbo got the last three touches in the final garbage time drive for the Jaguars. So it's James Robinson. And then what to expect from Shark and these guys. I mean, your your guess is as good as mine. It's Mike Glennon, guys. It's Mike Glennon. What are we doing? 
<laughs> what are we doing? Uh, but Jaguar sent three more defensive players to injured reserve this week. Yeah. Um, Sidney yeah. Jones included, I, I believe, oh. right? Or is he trying to get back? Oh, so that would maybe be the fourth thing because they sent Josh Allen, the uh, the second most famous Josh Allen, the third most famous Mike Thomas to IR, and then DJ Hayden came back, played one game in the slot, and repopped his hand. God, so, uh, Pat, do Rich. not assign me this game, please. <laughs> I will do anything. I, I think one little piece of excitement is that Cleveland has not made the playoffs since 2002, and right now they hold the sixth seed in the AFC. I mean, I think we're all rooting for the Browns to make the playoffs, even if we can't think that their offense is, as we discussed, explosive. But I would love to see the Browns back in the playoffs. I would love for it to happen. I don't, I don't want to really want to see Baker Mayfield complete nine passes the fourth the Eastern Saturday wild card game. <laughs> in a 46-10 to 10 win. Baker Baker in the playoffs just means more commercials for us long term. So I would rather have them not be (laughs) in. That's true. All right. Moving on. The Carolina Panthers, who are four and seven, go to the Minnesota Vikings, who are four and six and four point favorites at home with a total of 48 and a half. Teddy back, almost certainly. He got in a full practice on Wednesday. Christian McCaffrey, though, limited Pat. Um, This Vikings team, this Panthers team, both defenses are not ones to fear. So I think all aboard in your Kirk Cousins, your Justin Jefferson. We know Adam Thielen is on the COVID list. So we could see even a higher ceiling game for Justin Jefferson this week. If Thielen, we're hoping, gets back because he was positive, then negative, right? Maybe he's probably yeah. retested positive by the time this podcast is out. So just ignore everything I'm about to say here. But I mean, my quote unquote fear for this game is that. You know, this does set up very well for just Dalvin Cook to go totally wild. Teddy Bridgewater, you know, kind of his play was decreasing before he got hurt. Now he could be limited. And uh, just afraid that, like, you know, even though it's two bad defenses, if we might just get kind of a boring game and Dalvin Cook just going nuts. Uh, Adam Thielen does play. I mean, Justin Jefferson, like the ceiling you know, is so high. But he's, I think he's the wide receiver 31 by average half PPR points over the past five weeks. He's only exceeded five targets one time in the past Mm. month. He got 86 yards in one of those games on Sunday, but the usage is still just so volatile where like he feels like a high end RB two, and you basically have to rank him there because the upside is so high, but he he is like true boomer bust for fantasy still. I, I mentioned this on the recap show, but Thielen has 13 more red zone targets than, uh, Jefferson, whenever they started starting together in week three and 13 more end zone targets, I believe they're just not using Jefferson in whatsoever. I said, I believe, cause I have to clean up that number. It's early on a Wednesday. I usually have my stats down now. I mean, Adam Thielen does lead the NFL with 11 receiving touchdowns this season. So it's not a surprise that if those numbers are correct, um, Hayden, I mean, we have seen DJ Moore just really kind of expand his game, not just be like a yards after catch threat anymore. He's really become a vertical player, even with freaking PJ Walker last week. And Robbie Anderson is though one Hayden where we haven't seen the ceiling. It feels like in, in recent weeks, like he's still getting his six to eight targets, but that's equaling now like 37 or 40 yards. Are you still going to go back to him in this matchup? Yeah, certainly. He's wide receiver 23 in fantasy usage over the last month. And Teddy Bridgewater is just distributing the ball a little more evenly than it was early in the season. DJ Moore is still living on like insane efficiency. And that's like really good for his prospects if they can get uh, if they're trailing like they're projected to be trailing this week. I think Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Mike Davis, all of them should be started in like every single 12 team league. Um, Curtis Samuel up to wide receiver 19 in fantasy usage. He's averaging 14 expected fantasy points in the five games since his injury. 
Some of that is being boosted by some like uh, red zone rushing work. And I think that's kind of here to stay. Um, Mike Davis has been up and down uh, last week. He had a pretty good game, but I think Curtis Samuel is getting more involved and he's earned all these looks. So I think all three of these guys are, are like basically every week starters. It was odd for Mike Davis, too, because Rodney Smith played. He got eight carries on the day, and five of them came in the first quarter. So it was concerted usage to get Rod Smith involved on the ground. Mike Davis, of course, still finished with a touchdown and 21 touches, so you're still starting him as a high-end RB2, if not low-end RB1. But the fact they're getting another running back involved is somewhat concerning here. Yeah, big picture. I mean, the Vikings struggle to rush the passer. The Panthers might be the worst third-down defense in the NFL. Wouldn't surprise me at all if this – goes over the 48 and a half projected points in this game. All right, moving on. Arizona Cardinals, six and four, are two and a half point favorites on the road against the New England Patriots, a total of 49 and a half in this game. Arizona Cardinals, I believe last time we saw them was the DeAndre Hopkins end zone catch. Is that yeah. correct? No, two weeks ago. They played Thursday night against the Oh, yeah, they had that bad game on Thursday. Thursday nights don't count, Pat. Anyways, um, the Patriots, Pat, have not lost seven games in the regular season since the 2002 season. On Sunday, they could do that against Kyler Murray, against DeAndre Hopkins, against Cliff Kingsbury. What do you envision this game looking like? Because this Patriots team, as Greg Rosenthal pointed out on Twitter, while so much focus, and even for me, has been on Cam Newton, how they've had to manufacture everything offensively, the defense has gone from the number one ranked team in DVOA to like the number – 32 or 31 team in defensive DVOA. Not good. Not the way you draw it up. And, uh, you know, again, I say every week as I defend, you know, my Patriots, uh, the coronavirus opt-outs hurt them badly. Uh, they lost a number of key defensive contributors. But, yeah, I mean, is Ste- was Stephon Gilmore back last week? Uh, I mean, yes. I follow football. So, I mean, that is a good thing, but that's nowhere near a cure-all. For this for this defense and the to me though the the big question you know unsurprisingly for this game is Kyler Murray's health because he didn't miss any time against the Seahawks but he was clearly favoring his arm after getting his shoulder racked and he he it looked mostly okay but it looked like eighty to ninety percent Kyler Murray and you know even when you have Kyler Murray's arm strength if it's only eighty to ninety percent. That is a problem, and uh, Bill Belichick has had some success against dual-threat quarterbacks, uh, but not against Deshaun Watson uh, two weeks ago. Um, so as long as Kyler Murray's health cooperates, uh, this should be uh, they, sh- they should be getting the Patriots that seventh loss, but that is like kind of the biggest storyline of the week to me is Kyler Murray's health. I think for the first week, I'm not going to be ranking Kyler Murray as the quarterback one on the week. Uh, I think I have Patrick Mahomes comfortably ahead just because of the injury concern just because the Patriots play so slow on offense. The Cardinals are only projected like only projected for 26 and a quarter points. That's the 11th most on the slate. Of course, Kyler Murray gets all of, all of the work. So he's still a QB1 locked in, even with the kind of injury concerns. But a total ceiling game, I'm less convinced just because I, I'm not having that much faith in the Patriots and their slow-paced offense on the other side. Uh, I don't know here because the Patriots have been – Horrible, as Pat said. Um, and it, maybe it is because of the opt-outs, but anytime a quarterback has had simply an arm to throw against him, Derek Carr, Russ, Joe Flacco, uh, last week's performance against Sean Watson, they've been absolutely scorched. The issue for this game is, does Kyler Murray have an arm? Because we saw him banged up with a banged-up shoulder, limited in practice now. Um, so I am worried about that. But if I knew Kyler was healthy, like I would slam the Cardinals covering this game easily. <laughs> 
let, let's just have Kyler Murray run the football 15 times in this game. I'm all for that. I mean, yeah. we, we think about, I'm, I'm joking, but we think about this Arizona team as explosive passing the football. At least I do, you know, with DeAndre Hopkins and Cliff Kingsbury and Christian Kirk. They're the freaking best rushing team in the NFL. I mean, they're second in rushing, they're first in rushing touchdowns with 16 on the season and second in yards per game with almost 160. That's pretty freaking amazing. And when we need to talk about Kenyon Drake because that's a, a storyline that has gone through like waves this season, right? And Chase Edmonds along with it. Every week, Pat, we get on here and and I bring up these slow linebackers and slow defensive linemen for the Patriots and all these fast guys that the Cardinals have. That's nightmare fuel. It is, but this is you know Kenyon Drake has been sluggish a lot of the season, so this is a good matchup for Kenyon Drake. He's got a, someone he can you know fight his own size basically in this slow defense, and that was another concern with Kyler Murray in Week 11 was after the injury. I mean, I think he had his quietest rushing game of the entire season. I believe he had under 20 rushing yards. So you know, if you're favoring your shoulder, you know Kyler Murray is good at avoiding hits, but yeah, if you're favoring your shoulder, you're trying to avoid any hits. So it's just. He's a real the upside. Is, it's just too immense with Kyler Murray to, you know, especially in season long. I'm not going to fade him out of the top three at quarterback. I still might even end up with him at number one. But yeah, a lot. Kenyon Drake, man, I don't know. We're just back to where we were pre injury. You never want anyone to get hurt. We got hurt, though. Like we thought we created an opportunity for our favorite player, Chase Edmonds. He bombed the opportunity. Kenyon comes back faster than expected. And it's literally exactly as well for the injury. He's getting like 20 touches a game. He's not doing a whole lot with them, but he's scoring. And Chase Edmonds is like being a great change of pace back. They're not going to change anything. Edmonds, though, still like if someone dropped him because he is pretty much a handcuff. But Edmonds, Madison, these guys for the fantasy playoffs are guys you're stashing at the end of your roster. Because if someone goes down in those weeks, like those are the players you want as low end RB ones. Hayden, before we move on, I think prior to last week, Jacoby Myers was like top 12 in fantasy usage in the passing game. Then we saw Demir Bird go off. Myers do nothing. Does it only take us one week to get out of the way on some of these Patriots wide receivers? I don't think so. I think the way that they were scheming against Jacoby Myers, after the game he said that they were having a safety over the top, and he ran 42 of the 43 routes. I think that he's still the best player if you watch the game. And Demir Bird like popped off. That was mostly off of one big play, and we've seen years of Demir Bird not doing anything. So I think Jacoby Myers, you have to take a leap of faith to keep him in like as a flex option, but I think that I would head that direction just because the Cardinals secondary is still like hit and miss. And I think Jacoby Myers, I think the one bad game doesn't fully outweigh the three or four really good games. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. 
Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Let's now go to the six and four Miami Dolphins heading to New York slash New Jersey against the 0-10 New York Jets. A 44 and a half total in this game with the Dolphins, my Dolphins, seven point favorites on the road. Oh, what a bad week it was against Patrick's Drew Locke led Denver Broncos. Um, look, Tua was benched, we all know, after going 11 of 20 for 83 yards and a touchdown while being sacked six times. Daigle, we saw Brian Flores come out and say it wasn't injury-related. Kind of looked a little injury-related to me because I know Pat has talked about Tua's, not chronic, but severe ankle ankle injuries during his time at Alabama. It kind of looked like his ankle was rolled up on. Anyways, Tua almost certainly is going to be back in the starter, and this should be a get-right spot, but you trust him enough after his benching last week. I do, and as you said, you would think if there was ever a bounce-back position, it would be this one. Jets are still only one of five teams, allowing over eight yards per play through the air this year, and the Jets have recorded the six fewest sacks on the entire season, so no pressure uh, basically can do whatever he wants at will through the air. I know this offense has lacked the pop because it's only been Devontae Parker pretty much, but you would think it's still a spot. If you need a streaming option, you can confidently roll out Tua. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say confidently, but the Jets, like you said, as bad as their season long numbers are, they're going to be even worse because we're only like week two or week three weeks into like a total cornerback shakeup where they release Pierre Desir, put in some guys to injured reserve. So, like they are really committing to the tank for the second half of the season. But two of the, it's just like, you know, they're handling it with kid gloves and like, who are the weapons? Devontae Parker hasn't seemed quite right since like a number of early season injury, which is kind of typical for him. He guts through so many things, but he doesn't seem like he's anywhere close to hundred percent health to me. And I don't, it's, that's the main problem for Tua is where, like who is going to make these, who's going to create this instant offense for him other than himself. Yeah. Chris Westling had a great, I won't say rant. I'll call it a monologue on the Around the NFL podcast just about how, you know, this league for so long has handled quarterbacks with, you know, kid gloves and how they don't want to disrupt them. I, I think how Brian Flores handled the Miami quarterback situation was perfect in comparison to what Philly's doing with Carson Wentz. You know, like these are grown men. They they know when they're playing poorly. It's not just like, oh, I can't have my feelings hurt. We can't win this game. I'm more important than that. So, like, subtracting Tua from that, you know, equation was a better outcome in that one contest. And hopefully, hopefully this is a better spot. This happens for rookies all the time. They go through spots of playing poorly. And that was, whereas, I mean, Vic Fangio is a good defensive mind. The Broncos have some good defensive pieces. It was just a, a bad situation for him. But this should be a great one. And if not, that's when I think we should be a little more concerned than I am at this moment. I just wanted to clarify. When I say kick love, I meant the way they're calling the offense for him. Yeah, that was quite oh, a hard yeah. move. Uh, well, you know, they're fighting for a playoff spot, fighting to win a division. So uh, they absolutely should have done it. Yeah. It's um, 
And it's a pretty good game for the defense overall as well, because if there is a secondary that can stop what the Jets are doing, which is literally just lobbing 50-50 balls to Denzel Mims and Brashad Perryman, I mean, we're going to throw Byron Jones and Xavier Howard on two guys, and I dare you to try to get past them. So it seems like a nightmare spot for the Jets, honestly. Whereas whereas the uh, Jets will probably lose out the season, I also love that Hayden secretly has not said a word during this entire game, so he's... I appreciate that. I respect that very much, Hayden Winks. All right, we'll move on and start with you on this next game. We talked about it on the Thursday episode. So if you want more in-depth, go back there. But Hayden, do you have any news and notes, items you want to discuss because you weren't here for that show with the Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers with the Steelers, again, four and a half point favorites. They are 10-0 with a total of 45 in this game. I don't have anything groundbreaking. Um, Chase Claypool just looks, I mean, he looks so good. I, I don't know what the ceiling is with Chase Claypool, like long-term, but this is like one of the most impressive rookie showings. Like I, I remember watching the last couple of years. He was just like so dominant. I mean, the, the Steelers offense looks pretty, pretty solid right now. They haven't really been tested like with their schedule by any means. I think they have the easiest schedule in the league, but their defense is really good. And right now the way big Ben's playing is just good enough getting the ball distributed. So um I wouldn't call the Steelers like a, a fluke. I think I think they're like legit for for good reasons. I like it. Uh, one more note. I think defenses are really condensing their their structure against Lamar Jackson right now. I might have noticed with Greg Roman that obviously they love just to attack the middle of the field more than anything else. Chris Sims talked about this on his podcast, and his producer Pete found the stat that Dak Prescott still has more passing yards outside the numbers than Lamar Jackson does on the season. I mean, that's, that's wild to think about that. I don't know if that's a Marquise Brown thing or they just don't have, you know, wide receiver talent outside of him, but I think it's just an offense thing where they defenses haven't really had to really respect that area of the field. And if you can condense against Lamar Jackson, which we've seen, that's probably one reason why his production has dropped off so significant passing wise compared to last season. So, all right. Let's now go to the 4 o'clock games. New Orleans Saints, six-point favorites on the road against the Denver Broncos. Just a total of 43-and-a-half. Pat, Taysom Hill back in our lives. Yes. Pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing when you consider that the Saints are undefeated in the last two years, 6-0, and with backup quarterbacks, without Drew Brees. And we have seen it across the league that teams tank over and over and over again go into the depths of their dungeon when they don't have a perfect situation at quarterback. But here's Sean Payton trying out Teddy Bridgewater, trying out Taysom Hill, and they go 6-0. and And again, they're favored by 6 to go to 7-0 and this week. Yeah, and that's why Drew Brees is not a Hall of Famer. Here begins my <laughs> column. Uh, the Taysom Hill game, I mean, that was like a little something for everyone last week, wasn't it? Because uh, we got the power running. Uh, we got more conventional usage than we were expecting. You know, like A lot of it's like conventional over the middle of the field, short passing. But then the haters did get, you know, the laughably bad deep balls, um, both to Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, this were not – I mean, there this have to be better balls. Um, they just have to be better balls. And uh, inside, it was indoors in the Superdome and about as good of a matchup as possible in the Falcons. Now we're headed outdoors against the defense, you know, a little short on talent, but it is Vic Fangio who's mostly been keeping the Broncos' defense competitive. Um so it was it was a strange, very fascinating game. You know, probably different than everyone was expecting a little bit. 
Uh, but I'm I'm excited. I mean, we were all excited to see it last week, and there's still like kind of this like the sense of the unknown with Taysom Hill, and like I'm excited to see him in a tougher matchup. But you know, also excited to see he got the memo and he target Michael Thomas. Uh, I, I think the Alvin Kamara thing is probably a fluke. I think those targets will come back this week. Uh, but just still like a very fast. I'm one of the things I'm looking forward to the most in Week Twelve. The the three things that have given me life this season have been one having Silva as my roommate two, winter golf, and three, that Taysom Hill start. Because, man, that was so much fun last week. Just to see uh, a 30-year-old not take any zip off his ball, whether he's throwing at the line of scrimmage or 50 yards downfield, rocketing in there every single time. Uh, three carries inside the 10-yard line, including two touchdowns. As Pat mentioned, a 52% target share to Michael Thomas. And he was 6-for-6 six six under pressure, g- getting pressured at the 7th highest rate in Week 11. He literally did it all, whether you say he was bad or good. Literally, he did it all. <laughs> and it's interesting because this is a schemed-up banjo Angio defense we just talked about who did do all the right things against Tua and this is also Tasty Mills first road start in altitude which I think is the only part of having home field advantage that matters at all anymore in 2020 so I think it's just a an interesting game all around that I can't wait to watch and remember before the game against Miami, the Broncos defense had allowed 36 points per game to opposing offenses. So it's not even one I'm really respecting, but perhaps they do have Hill's number. Um, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I can't, I really can't wait. Dago, I'm glad you said it. He threw a fastball to uh, Alvin Kamara on that one screen <laughs> thing from like six yards away. Uh, kind of reminds me of, of my high school dodgeball games where the corn dogs and me and my buddies came in first place in our big uh, high school dodgeball tournament. I mean, just peppered him. And I'm not sure if Kamara is actually going to see that many targets moving forward. I I moved him down a little bit in, in like, rankings. I mean, he's still an RB1 because he's still so good. But the reason why he was so good is because Drew Brees, three-step drop, dump off to Kamara. And I I think that part of the offense is going to be basically phased out because they have this power rushing scheme now with with Taysom Hill. So I'm a little bit concerned with Kamara. You're not going to be seeing the elite production that you were – Want seeing? I think Jared Cook, you can uh, push out of starting lineups. I wouldn't start Emmanuel Sanders. I think it's basically Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill, Michael Thomas. That's it. Kind of like throwback to last year. Pat, I understand it's Wednesday. These things can change. But where do you have Taysom Hill ranked this week? Low in QB1. I think QB10 is where I had Because, like, even with the passing, you know, I, I feel like we get an incomplete. We just didn't really get a full idea of what kind of passer he's going to be. Um, higher baseline for attempts than I was probably expecting, but he established that rushing rushing baseline that he had to establish to be taken seriously as like a streamer or a QB one. So yeah, I have him like QB ten, QB eleven range. And quick piece of football history: when you throw it, no matter what, like as hard as you can, that's called the Colin Kaepernick. That's what he was uh, <laughs> the goat at. And while Taysom Hill deservedly so has stolen a lot of the headlines, we need to call attention to the Saints defense because they have turned a corner. They have turned into a great unit. Meanwhile, Drew Locke, his last two weeks, Pat, cover your ears, 53% completion percentage, one touchdown, five interceptions. And How about Jerry the dubs? Judy, Jerry Judy makes the bust list this week, and I understand like the advanced numbers say that his 40 targets over the last four games are third most in the NFL, and he leads the league in air yards during that same span of time. So a lot of people might say, oh, the potential is there for for production well I, I think 
Drew Locke is the reason why the potential will always be there and it won't be practical production because catchable ball rate is like at 50%. I mean, the targets like aren't even targets. So I, I understand that Jerry Judy has a chance and maybe he should be in your lineups as like a, a wide receiver three, but with surging Saints defense and how they can pressure Drew Locke and force him to make some chaotic decisions, I wouldn't bank on Jerry Judy hitting top 36 value this week. Yeah, I think he's right on the borderline. He's just being used vertically and his ADOT's way higher because he's playing on the outside. So the boom weeks are coming. There's probably going to be a lot of duds in there for all the reasons you said. And like you said with the Saints defense, give me the under here. I mean, Hmm. I don't really trust either of these offenses fully and both of the defenses look pretty good. Both teams are very well coached. This could be like a really weird game where it's like 20 to 17 or something like that. I we talked about Kamara a little bit, but I want to say that personally, I'm not out on the target share and I'm not too worried just yet. Uh, could be wrong here, but again, it was the first time all year Latavius Murray out snapped Kamara. I think it was because he was DNP on Wednesday and Thursday. Could be wrong there, but that is what I'm leaning towards. Let's now go to the San Francisco 49ers going to the Los Angeles Rams, who are seven and three, seven point favorites in this game with a total of 45 and a half. The 49ers actually in week six. Beat the Rams 24 to 16 feels like an eternity ago and feels like that just simply cannot happen again this time. Can it Hayden? Does maybe Kyle Shanahan just have Sean McVay's number? Well, it's Wednesday and on the West coast, we haven't even woke up yet. So we haven't seen any of the 49ers practice reports, but they're expected to get a bunch of guys back on both sides of the ball here. So um, offensive line, defensive guys, Raheem Moser might be back. Debo Samuel might be back. Of course, they're missing Jimmy G and George Kittle, but I mean, I think the, the 49ers offense probably going to look a little more functional than it was the last month or so. Um, I have some faith in Nick Mullins being able to distribute the ball if he has some pass catchers. Brandon Ayuk looks good. Uh, I think with Debo, Debo Samuel back, I, I hope Richie James stays in the lineup. He offers a little something. Jordan Reed offers a little something. So I think the 49ers offense is going to at least look functional the rest of the season uh, pending more injuries. During this podcast, uh, Brandon Ayuk was activated from the COVID-19 list, so he is also coming back for the 49ers. And This is another one of the biggest wild cards of Week 12 is the 49ers' backfield because Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman can be coming back the same weekend. And in in theory, to me, it's difficult to know how it'll shake out, but I think, like, the big takeaway of, like, the 49ers' backfield chaos over the past four or five weeks is just how important Raheem Mostert is and how far and away the best runner he is there. So if he's healthy, yes, exactly. If he's healthy, I I think I'll have him right outside the RB2. But, like, whereas it's going to look like a daunting situation to project on paper, I think it's going to be near RB2 usage for Raheem Mostert. He has eight games played. Jeff McKinnon has ten games played. Jeff Wilson has six games played. They all have fewer rushing yards than Raheem Mostert, who has only played four games. We have one game sample of Mostert playing with McKinnon and Tevin Coleman. It was week one, and Mostert had 19 touches to Coleman six and McKinnon's five. I think he's the workhorse the moment he comes back. Well, what about the other backfield, Daigle? How are you handling the Rams' backfield? Tears. I, it's all three are getting involved, but I think everyone's getting a little too excited about Cam Akers. Um, he got the touchdown catch, of course, but he played a backfield low, 12 snaps, and ran fewer routes, five, to Daryl Henderson's 18 and Malcolm Brown's 16. So the usage behind the scenes wasn't good at all. Not really someone I'm chasing in this spot. 
Yeah, okay. Cam Akers will be irrelevant unless Daryl Henderson gets injured or Cam Akers magically earns the trust of Sean McVay in pass protection because Malcolm Brown is not – his role is not changing because he's the best pass protector. <laughs> and, yeah, Cam Akers is just kind of like wobbling around. I think that he's a pretty good insurance play. Maybe he's – the backfield goes completely even. But the other, the other note was the Rams going way up in neutral pass rate. They were one of the most run-heavy teams in the league – Last week, they were really high up. They were just peppering the ball. And Josh, I'm not sure if it, this is something that they lose their left tackle. And in order to mask that, they're just going to go even quicker releases, even shorter pass attempts. And that's why we saw Cooper Cup and Robert Woods just yeah. go eating up a, a pretty solid Bucks defense on all these short timing routes. Look, it can be awkward to pat yourself on the back. So I will do it for you, Hayden. You called this basically word for word heading into this game for the Rams and the Bucks last week in terms of you brought up the left tackle missing. You said maybe they'll move away from Josh Reynolds downfield shots and instead use more of that short to intermediate game between Robert Woods and Cooper cup. And you were exactly right. Now the 49ers, while they don't have Nick Bosa, they still have some players in Javon Kinlaw and Ark arm said, hopefully that can, you know, get pressure in, in the backfield. So they probably do the exact same thing. I mean, Cooper Cup looked outstanding, left those great Bucks corners just grabbing for air at times. And Robert Woods, we know how he can be after the catch. So it worked last week against a very, very good Bucks team, put 27 points on them. I bet they can do the exact same thing and, and we'll try to do the exact same team against the 49ers team this week. So. Josh, that was very nice, but I need you to call my bookie because I still bet on the Bucks minus four, <laughs> so I lost that. So I had I had the Rams offense pegged, but uh, Tom Brady, come on now. There you go. Well, it, it makes sense as an approach, by the way, because after Jared Goff got you know, rocked by the 49ers like a month ago, they're gonna have to try something different. And uh, Jared Goff, you know, he's like he's like this generation's Alex Smith, 50 pass attempts, 350 yards every game, all of a sudden. Um, so uh, that joke. Wow, no one likes this generation jokes. The joke is that he is older and it's a past generation. Come on. Canned applause, everybody. Gen Zers don't even know who Alex Smith is. Always good when you gotta always good when you gotta explain the joke. Hayden, did you know there was a tight end named Alex Smith in the same draft class as the other Alex Smith? No. No. All these stories of him being called on these radio interviews and being like, why am I going on in (laughs) Omaha, Nebraska? Because they thought they were getting the quarterback out of Utah. Anyways, we will move on. Chiefs against Buccaneers. How could I forget this one? Chiefs on the road. Three and a half point favorites, a total of 55 and a half. We know the Chiefs are still 9-1 with that one minute, 50 second drive by Patrick Mahomes. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, meanwhile, did the exact opposite, I should say. Basically fell flat in their face. Pat, everything you hoped for came true in terms of him just looking absolutely washed. That's tough. Uh, that's tough. Don't put that on. I mean, I mean, I'm not <laughs> okay, saying I didn't fire yourself. off some tweets. Yeah, you've you know. you've said this on the podcast for months. You said it <laughs> in your Twitter timeline for months that Tom Brady is washed. And now that he is washed, Pat, say it. He's looking pretty washed, folks. I don't <laughs> okay. know. I mean, it's, uh, I, those two interceptions. I mean, just what what are we, Mike Glennon would be proud of the two interceptions that Tom Brady <laughs> threw last week. Dago, how are you handling this Bucks offense? I don't know if I can say he looked washed with the week prior. He threw three forty and three TDs and looked awesome. He left a lot. I'm going to jump in. He left Daniel Daniel Jones level amounts of yards on the field two weeks prior, though. Even when they scored forty six points and uh, the 
the island game enhances it. And of course, as we know, we are always monitoring his bedtime whenever he plays in prime time. <laughs> uh, having said that, what we've seen now is three full games with Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin. Mike Evans and Brown are tied with the team high in target share, 21%, 26 targets. Chris Godwin down at 22 targets, 17.5%. The big difference here is that Evans has 14 total red zone and end zone targets, 14 to Brown and Godwin's combined Two. They don't have an end zone target at all in those three games and have one red zone target each. Much like Adam Thielen, much like Devontae Adams, the Bucks go one place inside the 10-yard line and the red zone, and it is fades to Mike Evans. So that's why he should be the most valued receiver among this group. Even people citing that, oh, Jalen Ramsey matchup, pretty tough. Be careful about starting Evans. We saw that Evans himself is pretty damn good fighting off Ramsey in general. So no matter the matchup, Evans is the receiver you want among this backfield. Although Brown, I think it solidified himself as the number two option. Hmm. I think all three of them are at least wide receiver sure. threes. I, I put Mike Evans ahead of that, but I think you're, you can't go into any of these weeks sitting any of these guys, especially when they could be playing catch up against the Super Bowl champion chiefs and the current MVP, Patrick Mahomes. So you have to start all of these guys. I think the question for the bucks is, what do you do with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones? Um, I think all four of us on this podcast have better hands than both of them. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. How could they not catch the ball? I I, I think this has been one of the more, more interesting underrated storylines is have the Bucks backfield been on the jugs machine at any point this entire <laughs> season? They can't catch a screen pass from Tom Brady. It's amazing. I, I just quickly want to remind everyone though that you need to look ahead be aware of your fantasy playoff schedule because remember this year only they pushed two buys back to week 13 the bucks and the panthers so you're not going to have brown godwin brady goodwin uh, whatever all godwin, their names godwin, are yeah you're, you're, you're not gonna guy, have, you're not gonna have all of them for week 13 so just make sure you're aware of that justin watson scotty miller <laughs> yeah all those bums too, tyler johnson uh right. you know blaine gabbert <laughs> Dario Gumbawale. Anyway, okay. The joke I was going to say free Dario Gumbawale. That was the biggest loss of the offseason, letting Dario Gumbawale get away, a running back who can actually catch a pass. Novel concept. Chiefs, on the other hand, we saw Byron Pringle, I believe, have more usage than Mikael Hardman last week. Now, I Tough believe scene. Byron Pringle is hurt. So, Sammy Watkins, hopefully Hayden. Let's not jinx it for the second week in a row. Returns this week. And if he does, we know you're starting – Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes, even CEH most likely in this matchup, even though it can be difficult. But Sammy Watkins, let's gauge the confidence level here. The haters will sit him. I'll, I'll start him as a flex, uh, as, assuming he's, he's healthy. We have to just go off uh, practice reports. When you're dealing with soft tissue injuries for Sammy Watkins, things get pretty dicey. Uh, but if he's up, yes. Uh, and probably one happened because the other was maybe not all the way up to 100%. But if he has a full practice by Friday, I'm starting him. I I, I can't get away from him. His upside's through the roof. I mean, you, you can't find somebody in the wide receiver four territory that has anywhere near the ceiling of Sammy Watkins. And Patrick Mahomes, last three games, 42, Stop. 45, and 45 pass attempts. Like, they're, they're just passing the ball now, which is terrific. Yeah. Okay. Now over to Sunday night football, Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers, total of 45, eight and a half point favorites. The Packers are at home. That's because the other team employs Nick Foles. Let's now look at the Green Bay Packers. We know last week, weren't they like shut out in the second half, Pat, completely? I mean, it was going up by a lot. 
than tanking on offense. And while Devontae Adams was still getting his, is it fair to question and wonder how relevant the other players on this offense are in our lives other than Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, I should add? Well, you want to talk about insane upside out of the wide receiver four spot. It's Marquez Valdez Scantling, folks, question mark. Anyone with me? Uh, nope. They're not totally out. Al Lazard brought back slowly. You know, his injury lingered much longer than expected. They hinted, you know, at him coming back in like week nine, and it didn't happen till week 11. You know, only three targets in his return. I mean, he could become, it's going to be more difficult with buys functionally over, except for the two in week 13 for Al Lazard to carve out wide receiver four value. But, yeah, beyond the big dog, I mean, you still have Robert Tunyon with uh, tight end. He's such a wasteland. You can make justifications for Robert Tunyon as like a touchdown-based low-end tight end one. But, yeah, kidding aside, like other than like Marquez Valdez-Scantling is like a zero floor but 52-yard touchdown ceiling wide receiver four, it is extremely difficult to find you know, the fantasy value outside of the backfield in Devontae Adams. I don't think the game-losing fumble, though, helped his cause to stay as the wide receiver, too. So no. I'm still stashing Lazard. It's obviously a tough matchup against the Bears, but Lazard is still the player I want rest of season. They just they play yeah. such different roles because MVS sure. is like the deep threat. Uh, Alan Lazard is like almost a tight end. Um, so I don't know. We get David Montgomery back in this one, Hayden, right? Great. <sighs> Yay. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I, you have to start him as like a flex if you got him, though. I mean, unless there's like reports that Cordero Patterson is going to start uh, t- eating into David Montgomery's workload, which I think they should do that. Um, yeah, you just have to follow the B reporters. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think that it's Allen Robinson and David Montgomery as the flex. I'm not starting Anthony Miller or Darnell Mooney. Those air yards don't exist. Uh, like someone with some of the other uh, quarterbacks. So I think it's just those two guys. I mean, Listen, Chicago, this is my pitch to make – your team, at least entertaining. Play wide receivers in every position that is not wide receiver and then just inverse it. Like play offensive lineman at wide receiver. Done. Everyone would watch that game. <laughs> Everyone would watch. Patterson had 49 yards on 14 touches. Like he was bad too. And, and, and I don't blame him. They just use him incorrectly. We know how they're going to use him. A little swing pass out of the backfield. He runs at the line of scrimmage. He better break three tackles. Otherwise he's not getting yards. Every single time it's what they do. Um, and you mentioned Nick Foles. We don't even know if we're getting Nick Foles. Like he, he didn't pra- He hasn't practiced yet. Mitchell Trubisky is back at practice. And maybe they make the quarterback change to Tyler Burry. Either way, the moral of the story is to mm. pick up the Packers defense. And I can't believe the Bears are on primetime again. I got I got to piggyback off a of Hayden thought where he said Devonte David Montgomery is basically like an RB two, and I started off the rankings with David Montgomery. I'm like, screw this, I'm fading David Montgomery. He's like the RB twenty eight to thirty, but then as I dug into it, yeah, he's more like the RB twenty one, twenty two. We just have to get him in there because the touches are there, and the Packers are allowing the second most RB fantasy points. Like, it's the worst thing in the world. Basically, uh, there's coronavirus, and there's David Montgomery RB two but you have to do it. Um, and uh, it's a shame. Weren't Tyler Bray and CPAT college teammates with Justin Hunter? Did I make that up? I think they were 25 years ago. Those four incompletions he had when he came into the fourth quarter were <laughs> legit as well. Just <laughs> launched into fans. Let me show off this arm guys. Let me show off this arm. All right. <laughs> Let's close with Monday night football. The Seattle Seahawks on the road are five point favorites against the Philadelphia Eagles. Yay. Carson Wentz in prime time, <sighs> a 50 point total in this game how is he on the bears he's like such a (laughs) ridiculous give it about 170 days and he might be um okay seattle i do want to talk about them one we might get chris carson returning 
feel like we've said that for three weeks now. But also, we have seen, I think, Russell Wilson feeling a little bit of pressure. I'm not talking about like pass rush, but just feeling a bit of pressure because I think he realizes he has to play perfectly in order for this team to be successful because the defense is still just absolute garbage. Hayden, what do you think about this game? Because also on the other end, it should be a good Carson Wentz, Jalen Rager, Travis Fulgham, Miles Sanders, but we haven't had that in quite some time. The one thing that I was a little concerned about the Seahawks, and they still have Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf's a baller, Tyler Lockett's a baller, so you can only drop them so far at all. But the Seahawks were like middle of the pack and neutral pass rate over the last month, and that's without Chris Carson coming uh, in. So I'm a little concerned that we've seen the peak of let Russ cook, and they might dial that back, and they might look at the, the turnovers and just say, all right, we have to have a more balanced approach which would be sad. I don't think that you can only you can only drop these guys down so far because they're still so good on on their like efficient routes. But I'm a little concerned that we've seen like the 70% neutral pass rate Seahawks and that storyline might be a thing of the past. Also, uh well, go ahead, Pat. No, I was just Chris Carson returning and I just Chris Carson returning is like a humongous wild card cuz like yeah. so as Josh said Russell Wilson you know, three plus turnovers in three of his past five starts. He's been under 250 yards. In passing in each of his past two starts, but that's because, you know, even though Chris Carson wasn't getting like huge target totals or I mean carry totals, like he's so much more dangerous than the running backs behind. Like defenses have to respect Chris Carson in a way they don't have to respect any other Seahawks running back. And I almost wonder if like counterintuitively getting back by far the better running back will almost lead back to an increase. And like the neutral passing just because the threat is so much more dangerous and like, just makes the whole offense more unpredictable and more dangerous again. I don't know. But like, I, I think it could definitely help Russell Wilson getting back like an actual threat in the running game. This is sort of Travis Fulgham's last hurrah too, to see if he really can be confidently started week in and week out against the Seattle secondary um, past two games, two catches total eight yards in both of those contests and a 13 and 20% target share. Whereas remember the three games prior to both Rager and Goddard coming back, he had a 29% target share. So we've clearly seen as both of these players, unsurprisingly eaten to the workload here with a quarterback who leads the league in fumbles, sacks and interceptions taken. It's just a, <laughs> a poor passing offense altogether, despite having elite pieces around Wentz. Do we see Jalen Hurts in this game? Hayden, yes or no? I would say no. I think it's probably a, a week or two too early. I don't think they want to bench Carson Wentz either. They have so much money tied up. You 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 posted the the contract on Twitter. I saw that's a lot of money they got. Immediately. Okay. Well, so, sorry for for blowing your cover. The the other note I had, and I put this on Twitter. I haven't deleted it yet. Is Miles Sanders' usage is way down since coming back from injury, and I and I DM'd my my buddy Benjamin Solak, who is an awesome follow on Twitter for Eagle stuff. I said, what's going on with Miles Sanders? Because my intuition was saying that they don't think that he's a three-down guy, and he's been really bad in as a pass catcher out of nowhere. And then Boston Scott's been basically just as effective as Miles Sanders. They also re-signed Jordan Howard. They could activate him to the active roster at any moment. I'm a little concerned that Miles Sanders, like as the RB1 locked in, mm. elite usage is still going to be there for the rest of the season. I'm wondering if the Eagles say, all right, we have a really strong like two down back, but we don't have a, a foundation three down back. It's exactly what we need is just more confusion in the Eagles skill vision players. I mean, at least that's settled for us. And while it hasn't been productive, he's still getting the opportunity. But if that goes according to 
Nostra Haydenness right now, then that's concerning moving forward. Miss Cleo. Miss Cleo. <laughs> I love it. Also, I, I want to end it on that podcast, but but I, I quickly <laughs> shoved this note in there that Dallas Goddard literally played every single snap last yeah. week. He's a top four tight end the rest of the season. This, yes, totally with you. This is the start, well, I guess, in the last two weeks, where the start, to me, where we see Zachers move on after this year, and we see Dallas Goddard emerge heading into fantasy drafts next year as a top three or top four drafted tight end. Lock it in. Except Agreed. for he could come back this week, and we can't like totally laugh it off. Like if he comes back, I mean, uh, it will be an, a wrench. He, Dallas Goddard will still be top six or seven, maybe even still top five. But you know, just one more variable in an offense that I feel like does not need uh, any more variables. That is going to do it for us for our fourteen game preview on Sunday and Monday. Again, if you listen to this and you want Thanksgiving, it's in the episode before this, and we'll be back on Monday morning for the game-by-game wrap-up show, recap show, where we cover every single fantasy-relevant player and how they performed in those contests. Hopefully, every information, piece of information we said this week does not come untrue by Sunday. I have that fear in the back of my head. But look, this is what happens when you record shows on Wednesday. All right, go and check out Pat's rankings, which are on the front of the site. Oh, and we are still here for Roto World Live on Sunday. It's not like we get a holiday weekend or anything gentlemen uh so we'll be back here noon eastern on periscope on youtube on twitch 45 minutes leading up to kickoff answering your start sick questions and setting optimal lineups again that is rudder live served by applebee's all right for daigle for pat for hayden i am josh up the villa talk to y'all soon see ya the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.